Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. As Sim said, we're kind of looking at the last of the the Band of Brothers series this week. Uh, Next week, we're going to look at the other 72 disciples, so bear with us with that. Even less information about them. But no, it's been quite interesting looking at some of the characters of the disciples. Some we know quite a bit about. They're mentioned in Scripture a fair bit. Others we don't know very much at all. And it was Sarah who got that last week. In fact, um, I can't even remember the disciples she was talking about. There was so little information available in Scriptures about them. But she brought out a fantastic point, I thought, last week, that actually the reason why we don't always notice too much about the disciples is because actually it's all about Jesus. And it's his narrative and it's his story. Um, I don't know what you've got out of the series as, as individuals, but what, what's... I've really enjoyed is looking at the disciples, uh, just seeing Jesus through their eyes, really, and seeing things from their perspective. These are a group of people that were all very different. They were very raw and very young. They hadn't been trained. They were kind of probably drove Jesus around the bend at times, but they had different experiences. They came from different backgrounds. They had different potential, different weaknesses, different strengths. Yet God was able to do something in all of them. And he did a work in all of them. And their legacy really is the fact that we're, we're saved here this morning. We've become Christians because they actually took the gospel out into Jerusalem and into all of the nations. So it's a fantastic thing that we can think about, that Jesus impacted their lives so much that they were able to, to spread the gospel into many nations. We're going to look this morning at um, a disciple that we don't know very much about, but he's probably the most remembered disciple. And we tend to have a bit of a negative association with his name. We're going to look at Thomas this morning. And as soon as I said Thomas, I know that some of you were starting to think, ah, doubt, questions, unbelief, lack of faith. Thomas is someone who, over history, really, we've got a very negative association about. He's become synonymous with that one passage in John. And so I just want to pick out a few things from the book of John today so we can actually have a proper look at who this character was. But certainly, I think we often think of Thomas as perhaps the, one of the, the lesser of the disciples. You know, if you were to see them in a room, he'd probably be ranked just slightly above Judas Iscariot. You know, he's kind of, he's not as important as the other disciples. You know, he's just that little fellow who doesn't believe and keeps questioning. But I think we've probably got, we've, we've, there's more to him than, than, than just that. I think that history's been a little bit unkind to Thomas. So we're going to unpick that a little bit this morning. But with his name comes a kind of negative response. And it made me think a little bit of, uh, and I'm sure some of you were looking through books like this uh, back in the day when you were kind of planning your family. This is a book of baby names. And uh, I don't know how you did it with your partner, whether you kind of both had your own lists together and then kind of conferred about your preferred names for babies. But the way Bryony and I did it, we both sat down separately and we came up with a list of five names. And the rule was you could have perhaps two vetoes in your partner's list. Now, I'm a teacher, so I have associations with names that maybe is a little bit different to other people. So Bryony would say things like, well, how about Jack? Ah, no. He was, he was a nightmare last year. There's no way we can call our son Jack. 
What? Oh, okay. What about Daniel? No, he smelt. He smelt bad. Didn't wash. Jessica. She threw a shoe at me last year. I, no, I don't think so. So for me, I had these kind of associations with names that meant things to me because I'd experienced things of people who were called those names. By the way, if you're called any of those names this morning, I'm really sorry. <laughs> and so because of that, Bryony had to actually change the rules so that I was not allowed to veto any names based on the fact that I'd taught them in the past. Okay? But Thomas has one of those names, doesn't he, where we, we talk about him, we think about him, and we say, ah, oh, doubt, unbelief. And we've kind of almost written him off already. We're going to look at three passages in the book of John this morning that tell us a little bit more about his character. Because I think, really, we've not quite grasped all there is to know about Thomas. But before we do that, let's look at our our top trumps card. Those of you who've been uh, here the previous Sundays know that we've been looking at kind of the different disciples and imagining if we were playing a game of top trumps what their stats would be. So I made up these for Thomas. Appearances. He appears in the the, the scriptures eight times. Uh, Most of those times he's just banded together in a list with some of the other disciples. Um, Commitment, 79. I'll pull that out a little bit later so you can see. Um, And belief. I've put 17 down just because, well, that's kind of what you're approaching the the idea of Thomas from. But I'm going to suggest that actually, far from being someone who lacked faith, I believe Thomas shows us in the Gospels that actually he was a man of faith, a man who was passionate about his relationship with Jesus. So some more facts about Thomas. Let's have a look. What do we know about him? Well, we know that he was probably a Jew, based from the passage in Acts, and probably a Galilean as well. We know absolutely nothing about his family, his place of residence, or his occupation. We just don't know. Although it's amazing when you look things up and you do research online, what you can actually find. Some, a lot of websites agree, don't know anything about him. But I found one or two who could tell you lots of things about him. His brothers, where he lived, his occupation, his bank details, all <laughs> sorts. And you, when you dig a bit deep, you think, oh, I don't think this is right. I don't think this is right. So just be careful when you look online when you're doing your research because there's lots of stuff out there that is not actually right. The name Thomas actually comes from the Aramaic word, which is teoma, which actually means twin. Um, And John uses the Greek equivalent, which is didymus. So if you've ever read the passages in John, that's why he often is referred to as didymus, because it means the word twin in the Greek, which I think is a bit of an odd name, isn't it? If you give birth to two children and you call one of them twin, what do you call the other one? It just seems a, I don't know, it just seems a little bit odd. And also in terms of you know, developing a sense of identity and uh, self-worth, to be just called twin, I don't know, it just seems a bit of a strange name to me. Um, scripture doesn't really tell us if... His other twin, if his twin was um, one of the disciples or not, he seems to be very associated closely with Philip or Matthew, but we're not actually sure if they were twins or not. Probably not. 
Um, he's only actually mentioned eight times in Scripture, and most of those times are actually in lists, but it's the book of John, actually, that gives us a bit more information about him. In fact, without the book of John, we wouldn't know much at all. So, we're going to be looking at three passages in John today. Uh, tradition also tells us uh, that he went, uh, took the gospel into India, and that's where he was actually killed in service. He martyred for his faith after setting up some congregations out in India. So, sounds like someone that we might find interesting this morning. So, the three scriptures we're going to look at, if you move on to the next slide, we've got three times where Thomas is mentioned, not a lot, but I think we can dig out some things that tell us a little bit about his character. We've got uh, him mentioned in the story of Lazarus, in John 11, he appears again in the Last Supper in John 14, and also we've got the very famous incident um, after Jesus' resurrection in John 20. So let's have our first look at uh, John 11. Uh, it will be on the screen if you haven't got your Bibles. Lazarus. Lazarus was one of Jesus' close friends. He was the, the brother of Mary and Martha, and Jesus loved them dearly, and they loved Jesus dearly as well. And it's at this kind of setting where we find out that Lazarus has got very poorly and very sick. And word is sent to Jesus that Mary and Martha would like him to come back. His dear brother, Lazarus, is ill, and they want him to come back. But they live in Judea, and at the time, Jesus was not near Judea. So that's the scene that we're going to set you with this morning. And we'll start from John 11, verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. If it is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So there's another example, really, where the disciples haven't really understood what Jesus is saying to them. And I always like to think that maybe Jesus is trying to kind of tell them gently. You know, he's resting. He's asleep. He's just reclining. Sounds like the dead parrot sketch, doesn't it? <laughs> But they didn't quite understand what he meant. So he had to be plain with them. So then he told them plainly, Look, fellas, Lazarus is dead. And by, for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus. I've got A there. Didymus A. Maybe that was the twin thing. Maybe there was twin A and twin B. Just a thought. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. And by that, he's referring to Jesus, not to 
not to Lazarus. You see, they're fearful, the disciples, of being stoned. Last time Jesus was in Judea, that nearly happened. So the disciples are fearful about going back so soon. Lord, last time we went, they nearly stoned you. Are you sure you want to go back? But Thomas's response, and I think we can get a lot out of this, it tells us a lot about his character. Thomas's response was, let's go with him. Let's die with Jesus if that's going to happen. Now, this sounds to me like Thomas is completely committed to the cause. He has spent time with Jesus. He has seen some amazing things. And he, he can see no better time than to spend with Jesus. That's all he wants to do, spend his time with Jesus. And if that means dying by the side of his master, then so be it. Thomas sees that as worthwhile and worth doing. In fact, in fact, he urges the disciples to do it as well. Let's go with him. If you think about the amazing things that the disciples had seen, they'd seen demons cast out of people. They'd seen people healed and made better. They'd seen all sorts of miraculous signs with the feeding of the 5,000 and all things like that. And I think Thomas has got a bit of an inkling here that something might happen if we go with Jesus to Lazarus. I think something's going to happen. If you allow Jesus to lead you, some amazing things can happen. So I look at this passage, and it, for me, it's, it shows me that Thomas is passionate about his faith. It doesn't sound like a disciple who has questions, who has doubts in his faith, who doesn't believe. This is someone who's committed to the cause. He's a man of action. He wants to go with Jesus. And if that means death, then so be it. It's similar rhetoric, isn't it, that we hear from Simon Peter later on in the Gospels, where he also said, Lord, I'm willing to go with you, to go to prison with you and to die with you. But with Simon Peter, these were just merely words. They weren't actually backed up with action, were they? He actually denied Jesus three times. But here Thomas is committed to the cause, and he follows up his heart cry with action. And they go, uh, they go to see Lazarus. And you know the story? When they get there, Lazarus has been dead for a few days, and Jesus calls him out of the tomb. And again, they're witness to some amazing events. You talked about that kind of shared experience with Zach. Imagine being with Jesus for three years. Imagine the shared experiences that those disciples had. Often I think we look down at the disciples because of their confusion and their lack of understanding at times. And it's easy to do that because we know the whole story. But they were living it day in, day out. And they took a while, I think, to really understand who this Jesus was. Who is this Messiah? You know, they were steeped in their Jewish traditions. And so it took them a while to understand some of the kingdom teaching of Christ. And they had to kind of weigh up one with the other before they really, really understood. How committed to Jesus are we? Are we like Thomas, where we want to follow Jesus into every situation and circumstance? Do we have an expectation that if we do that, that actually we're going to see some amazing things? You know, when we come to church on a Sunday morning, what are our expectations? If we're being led by Jesus, Sim kind of talked about it before, but you know, what, why don't we see more miracles here in church? Jesus is the same Jesus. He's the same God. Is it about our expectation, maybe? 
But I long for a day where we have a queue at the front of church who, of people who want to sit on the front row because they don't want to miss anything. Imagine the queue for the front row being three times as long as the queue for coffee. Yeah? That actually Jesus might turn up today. He might see something amazing. Fantastic. Thomas was a man of action. Let's move on to the second uh, mention of Thomas in the book of John. I'm not sure to- uh, Thomas would probably thank John uh, for remembering some of these details, certainly, certainly the next one. Um, but in John uh, 14, verses 1 to 7, this is about this, the story of the Last Supper. So they've come into Jerusalem. Again, they've had that shared experience of seeing Jesus come through on the donkey and everyone proclaiming his name. Hosanna, Hosanna. The Jews are expectant. They've heard things about Jesus. They're expectant that he's going to come in and be the Messiah that they're hoping for, to overthrow the Romans and establish kingdom rule in Jerusalem. It doesn't quite work out that way. And so a few days later, they're having what's become known as the Last Supper. I'm not sure the disciples were aware of its significance at the time. And they're reclining around the table, and Jesus is still trying to pour into them a sense of understanding and a sense of truth. He's speaking into their hearts and explaining to them that he's going to die, and he's going to prepare for them a place in heaven. And so we pick it up in verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. Sorry. I've got a shadow here. (laughs) My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, but we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him because you've seen me. So Thomas here asks a question of Jesus. He doesn't quite understand what Jesus is explaining. You know, Jesus kind of predicted his death a number of times, but for whatever reason, the disciples didn't really understand what he was saying. Jesus often spoke a little bit in riddles and parables, and so they were probably trying to work out, is he, is he talking literally here? Is he kind of talking uh, metaphorically? Is this just an illustration? Um, but Thomas asks a question here. Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Again, I think this teaches us something about Thomas's heart. We said before that he is someone who is a man of action, who's committed in his faith. And as soon as he hears that Jesus wants him to follow, his first reaction is to understand how he can do that. He wants to follow Jesus, but he's not sure of the way. Despite living with the Messiah for three years, the other disciples didn't really understand either. They didn't ask any questions, though. It was Thomas who decided, okay, I'm going I'm to look the fool here. I'll ask the question that no one else is willing to ask. Lord, what do you mean? How can we follow you? 
You see, when Thomas saw what he ought to do, he urgently wanted to know how to do it. I think this passage shows us that Thomas is a seeker of truth. He wants to know the truth. He wants to know how he can follow Jesus. Amen? He's someone who's committed to his faith. He doesn't just want to kind of let Jesus' words pass him by. He doesn't want to miss out on anything. He wants to make sure he fully fully understands what Jesus is teaching him here. So he's a seeker of truth. He wants to know what Jesus' will for his life is so that he can act upon it and walk in it. Are we seekers of truth here this morning? When we gather to worship him and to study God's word, and as we meet in connect groups, are we people who are seeking God's truth? Do we really want God's best for our lives? What can we learn from him? You know, we hear lots of things, don't we? And we sing lots of words in our songs. But do we really understand what we're singing? Do we really understand what we're hearing? I think sometimes we're a little bit afraid to ask, can't we? Certainly if we've been a Christian for many years, we don't want people to think, ah, really? You don't know that? Listen, we're all seekers or should be seekers of God's truth here this morning. Let's not be afraid to ask questions of our leaders, of our connect group leaders. We're in a safe environment to do that. Let's learn together. Let's dig deep into Jesus so that we can actually have revealed to us more truth. The more truth that is revealed to us, the more we can follow Jesus with a, with a pure heart and a pure understanding. And one of the most misquoted scriptures, I think, is the verse where it says that uh, the truth will set you free. And actually, if you look more closely at that scripture, it says, knowing the truth will set you free. So we've got to be seekers of what the truth is. We just want to be people who know about Jesus. We want to be people who know him personally. Amen? Let's be seekers of truth. Because when we do, we will have a greater revelation of who he is in our lives. Moving on to the last and most famous scripture with Thomas now. This is after the resurrection. And just to set the scene, obviously the Last Supper, Jesus goes into the garden and he tries to keep the disciples up to pray with him, but they all fall asleep. And then Judas comes with the soldiers and Jesus is arrested. And apart from Peter, who waves his sword around for a little bit, the rest of the disciples flee, including Thomas, let's be honest. It must have been such a frightening thing for them to behold and see happen that they actually fled. But maybe it was part of God's plan, actually, that they were not there. Because if they had stayed with Jesus, maybe they would have been killed as well. And so maybe it was part of God's plan just to remove the disciples from that situation so that actually when the Holy Spirit came and when Jesus was resurrected, the disciples were still there and were able to then go and spread the gospel into the city and beyond. So... Jesus had died, and he'd been resurrected, and it was probably around about a week or two after that that we have this situation with Thomas. Um, Jesus had appeared to the other disciples and to Mary, but for some reason, Thomas was not there. And so we pick it up in John 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, 
Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas has just given quite a detailed account of Jesus' wounds. Why was that? Let's remember that although he fled in the Garden of Gethsemane, he watched Jesus being nailed to that cross. He watched his Lord and his Master die. He was fully aware of the wounds in his hands and his feet. He would have seen the soldier's sword being stuck in his side. He may have been watching from a distance, but he saw those things. He saw well and truly that Jesus had been killed. And I'm sure when they took the body down from the cross, they weren't particularly gentle in doing so. Those wounds would have been real. Imagine spending three years with someone who you think is going to be the person to lead you on into all those fantastic things in the rest of your life. And all of a sudden, the story changes. They hadn't quite grasped why Jesus was to die. Thomas is confused. He's hurt. What he thought his future was going to be seems to have come to an end. I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. You know, in the midst of Thomas, Thomas's questions and doubts, Jesus knew. Jesus knew his questions. When we have our questions and our doubts, Jesus knows. Let's not try and hide them. He knows what we're thinking. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Now, why Thomas was not present with the rest of the disciples when Jesus appeared We don't really know. Some commentators suggest that maybe he'd taken himself off somewhere quiet to mourn the death of his Lord. But we don't really know that. He may just as very well gone out and popped out for some biscuits and some milk. We don't know. He might have just happened to miss the time when Jesus appeared to the rest of them. Now, I can imagine that he was probably annoyed about that, quite jealous that the other disciples had experienced something and he hadn't. But remember what we said about Thomas earlier. This was a man of action, a man who was passionate about his faith. He wanted the truth. He'd seen Jesus die on the cross. He wasn't going to believe anything that wasn't absolutely 100% the truth. He was trying to be careful here. In Thessalonians, Paul teaches us, doesn't he, that we need to test and approve everything. And this is really what Thomas was doing. He wanted to be sure And we often kind of laugh about it and we poke fun at him and think, oh, I can't believe Thomas is the one who doubted. Um, And we kind of think it it makes us feel better about ourselves, don't we, when we see these disciples who get it wrong. But would we have been any different, I wonder? Would we have been any different if we spent three years with Jesus and then all of a sudden these others around you are saying, he's alive? Thomas wasn't the only one who needed physical evidence of Jesus being alive. And I think this is where he's got a little bit of a rough history. What did the disciples do when Mary came running back from the tomb and said, Jesus is alive? They didn't say, oh, fantastic, let's put the kettle on. Their first reaction was to run 
to the tomb themselves. Now, the scripture doesn't say that they said, oh, don't be, you know, pull the other one, Mary. They're talking a load of cobblers. That can't be true. But I'm sure some of them were thinking it. I mean, Mary appears in a few other passages, and sometimes she can be a bit emotional at times. Maybe she kind of wanted to see this, and it hadn't actually been true. But their first reaction was to run to the tomb. The disciples wanted evidence for themselves. And so for us to say, oh, you know, Thomas is the one who was doubting, I think they all doubted. Thomas just wanted to have the same evidence that the rest of the disciples had had. You know, he wanted to have that experience. He wanted to have that revelation of the risen Lord, his risen Christ. Remember, he's a seeker of truth. He has come a long way since he met Jesus, and he's not prepared to, to continue his walk unless he is certain. He wants to know what the truth is. Scripture doesn't really tell us why he couldn't take the words of the disciples at face value and trust them and believe. I don't know why he didn't. Maybe he was thinking about the story of uh, on the shores of Galilee when they mistook Jesus for a spirit. Maybe he thought they'd got it wrong. Maybe he thought that actually they were just trying to cheer him up. Maybe, they thought, maybe he thought that they were delirious. I don't know. But he did not want to believe until he had seen it for himself. Now, what I want to pull out of this whole passage, which is the thing that I love about this passage, is actually this. In the middle of his doubt, in the middle of his questions and his unbelief and his lack of faith, Thomas remained. He was still in that room. You know, he hadn't left. He could have gone back and gone back to his old way of life, but he hadn't. He waited he waited for a revelation of Jesus himself. He hadn't, he hadn't left his friends. He hadn't left, left the fellow disciples, the, the fellow followers. He remained. And I think that's something that we can really think about. We all have doubts in our Christian walk. Let's be honest with it. Okay? Hands up if you are or have ever had some doubts, some questions about your walk with God. I think we all have, and we continue to do so. So really, we're no different to Thomas. We're no different. But what I love about this is he remained. He waited. And so sometimes in our questions, in our doubt, we need to do the same. We need to press into Jesus. We need to wait for him so that we get a revelation of him. When Jesus turned up in that room, Thomas received a powerful revelation of the risen Christ. My Lord and my God. And that's what we need. When we are doubting, when we have questions, and we all do, and it doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for two months or you've been a Christian for many years, we still have these questions. Is this real, God? Did you really say that to me? Am I really able to do those things? Did I really experience the Holy Spirit that day? Was it just me being emotional? Is, Is this the right church for me? There's all kinds of questions that continually pop up into our heads. But what we need to do is to focus on Jesus and wait for him to respond to our questions. Let's be open and honest. Let's not pretend, yeah, I'm fine. Let's be open and honest with each other. We all have doubts. Okay? But your doubt may have been experienced by someone else in this room. And so if you were to open up and explain, just express your doubt, they might have some words of wisdom to help you through that situation. Jesus is here. He hears 
your doubts and your questions. And he wants to meet with you so you get that powerful um, experience that Thomas had here. So I think we can learn a lot about Thomas. He's not just the man of doubt, a man of questions. He's passionate about his walk with the Lord. He wants to make sure he's got things right. He wants to know the truth. He's a man of action. And when we have doubts, I think doubts can sometimes be a good thing as well as a negative thing. You know, if your doubts, if your questions push you closer and deeper into Jesus looking for answers, then actually that can be a good thing because you'll come out of that experience with a deeper understanding, a deeper faith, a deeper knowledge of your Saviour. But we've got to be careful as well. I think Trevor talked about it the other week, about the devil looking for a landing spot. And it's the devil who will put those seeds of doubt sometimes into your mind and get you to question whether God said that or not. We've got to be careful that we don't actually kind of feed those seeds of doubt because otherwise they can give us the excuse to actually go our own way and do things that are not fully part of God's will for your life. When we look at the scriptures, we find men and women all through the Old Testament and New Testament who had their questions and who had their doubts. Thomas wasn't the only one. You think of Moses. He, he doubted his ability. He doubted whether God, he was the right man for God to take into Egypt and release the Hebrews. He took his brother instead with him. He didn't believe he was God's man. David, as well, had huge anxieties, huge questions, huge self-doubts about his own situations. We can even look at Jesus as well. We know Jesus was tempted with questions and doubts in the wilderness. But look at the Garden of Gethsemane. The disciples had fallen asleep. He sank to his knees in prayer. said, Father, I'm not sure I can do this. Wow. I'm not sure I can do this. But your will, Father, not mine, your will. I'm going to put my trust in you. And that's what we've got to learn to do, that in the midst of our questions and our doubts, let's put our trust in God. Because actually, if you're able to put your trust in Jesus, despite your doubts and questions, then actually your faith will grow and be strengthened. I'm going to ask the band to come up now. I don't know if you are sat here this morning and you've been having some doubts recently, some questions about your walk with him, about your faith, and whether actually you just want to be honest this morning and talk with someone else and just be honest with others and with God and say, God, I have been having these questions, these doubts. I just want to lay them before you. I just want to seek the truth. I want you to reveal yourself to me like you did to Thomas. We have a prayer ministry team I would welcome you to come forward and just chat with them and pray with them. You might also be here this morning because, you, you know, it's been a while since you've just really had a, a real heart revelation of Jesus. Maybe you want him to be revealed to you in a, in a new and fresh and powerful way this morning. We would love to pray with you this morning. You know, Thomas was a man who had passionate faith. He wanted that revelation for himself. He wasn't happy to build his faith on what others had seen. He wanted Jesus for himself. We need to be people like that, I would suggest. Okay? So next time you think about Thomas, when you're reading the scriptures, next time you hear his name, let's not just cast him off as being someone who had doubts. 
and who had questions. But let's remember the positive aspects of his nature and his personality as well. Okay, he was a man of action. He wanted to follow Jesus in every situation. He wanted to be led by him. He was a seeker of truth. He wanted to know God's plan for him. He didn't want to miss out on anything. And also, he was passionate about his faith. And he remained steadfast despite his doubts and his questions. He remained. He waited until he had that revelation from Jesus. For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk. Thank you for listening.